Well, Relevant Church, it's so good to uh, stand before you once again. Um, and as always, it's a, a, a real blessing and an honor that your pastors, Patrick and Carmelita, would entrust me to uh, stand before you and bring this word. So I want to honor them and thank them for um, just extending the opportunity. And hopefully, um, I uh, you guys will invite me back because you love me. <laughs> so... Um, I just wanted to say that right up front, just it's, it's good to be in your presence. So, amen, amen. Anyways, uh, today is Palm Sunday. Um, I could go into a, a great, you know, historical thing, being, you know, a priest and all that, but I'm not really going to go there. But typically, I will say that I suppose for this service, um, you could expect a rousing message uh, on the coming of the king, uh, a service in which we would, you know, wave palm branches and proclaim, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. However, we would actually be doing a disservice to not only the text, but the events that were about to unfold through the gospel. The truth is, one day, the very people who were cheering and praising Jesus and, and hailing Him King, blessed is He, a few days later, some of those exact same people were shouting again. But they were shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him. Which is an action that obviously reveals that these people who hailed Him as King just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. And Jesus, the fact is, Jesus knew that they didn't get it. Uh, Luke records that immediately after he rides in, he proceeds to weep over the city because he realizes that these people who just proclaimed him king didn't even get it. And then after he's done weeping, he goes into Jerusalem. And the first place the scriptures tell us in Luke is that he goes to the temple and what happens when he goes to the temple? He clears it out. He clears it out. Those people who shouted, Blessed is the king, were looking, church, they were looking for an earthly king to take natural action by cleansing and clearing out the palace. But Jesus Jesus is the heavenly king who operates in the supernatural, and that's why he went to the temple he went to his house, and they didn't get it. Fact is, Christ did not come to wage war against Rome, but against darkness. And one of those people that didn't get it is who we're going to consider today over these next few moments, and that's Judas. Judas Iscariot, a man who didn't get it. So this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, and then uh, 47 and 48. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Luke chapter 22. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. 
Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Jumping down to 47. While he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking, a crowd came up. and The man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And so again this morning, we're talking about a man who didn't get it. Let's pray. O oh Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Talk about somebody who didn't get it, right? Judas did not get it. He had no idea what was actually going on. But we got to ask why he, he didn't get it. Why didn't Judas get it? Judas seems to have been the money man, right? He carried the bag because, you know, at one time we know that he, he even got uh, concerned and perturbed when Mary, Martha's sister, anointed Christ's feet with a bottle of expensive perfume, expensive oil. After all, Judas had said that could have been sold and used to help the poor. And while on the surface, that might seem like somebody who might be getting it, and that might not sound like a bad argument that he was making for the waste of the perfume or what he perceived as the waste, if anything, this, this helped make it seem like he had a good heart. Meeting the needs of others, which is the, the, essentially that's what ministry is, meeting the needs of others, meeting people at their point of need. However, the truth is he lacked the imagination to see beyond the physical world. And so he didn't grasp the deep prophetic moment that was occurring. One example of how he didn't get it. Father Kenneth Tanner, uh, an Anglican priest, says it this way. Judas values 12 ounces of perfume, which is 300 silver pieces, over the human God. 30 pieces of silver. But Mary chooses the better part to prophesy the death of God by anointing his body for oil and into it his rising again by wiping the, the ointment away, filling the world, filling the room with the aroma of the resurrection. And so here's a moment that Judas just didn't get it. It's a prophetic moment of what Christ was going to be doing for each and every single one of us. The Gospels reveal to us that Judas, just like all the rest of the twelve, the, he saw the miracles. He saw the things that Jesus did. He saw the lame walk. He saw the blind see and the deaf. He saw their ears open. He saw demons expelled. And he even performed those same miraculous things when he and all the other disciples were sent out two by two. 
Scripture tells us that they went out and they preached that men should repent and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Judas, he did those same things. But he still didn't get it. But regardless, it sounds like on the surface, it sounds like he's a man who cared for others and who certainly had to be a friend of Jesus, right? He had to be. He's concerned about the poor. He's healing people. He's casting out devils. He's doing the works of the kingdom. Surely he's a friend of Jesus. But before we decide on whether he was a friend or not, allow me a moment to share a nugget uh, on the two types of friends that we find in the Gospels. The Greek word philos and hetairos. Probably pronouncing them wrong, but you know, it's all good. Philos and hetairos, both of which are translated as friend, but they represent two totally different types. Philos is someone who uh, is dearly loved and, or prized in a personal and intimate way, a trusted confidant held dear in a close, uh, a close bond of personal affection. And hetairos is someone posing to be a comrade, but in reality only has his own or her own self-interests in mind. An imposter acting for self-gain. There are only three instances, actually, uh, where our Lord uses hitaros for the word friend. And one of those is found in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus, the same instance that we read here at the beginning, Judas leads the, the temple guards in him and he comes into Gethsemane and Jesus, and Jesus says to Judas at that time, friend, do what you came to do. The friend that Jesus is using there is the Greek word for imposter. For someone who is motivated by their own self-interest and not Love begs a whole lot of questions about our Lord too. He knew this about this man, but he still led him into the inner circle. Judas, Judas is the uh, church. Judas is described as heteros, an imposter in this passage, which explains why he actually never got it, even though the Lord always kept the door open to him always kept the door open and was hoping that Judas would see him for who he really is. It's crazy, right? Despite the miracles, despite the, the servant leadership that Christ modeled, despite the grace and mercy, despite the forgiveness, despite all the sermons, despite the fish and the loaves, despite Lazarus being raised from the dead, despite all those things, Judas still never understood what the kingdom was truly all about. Judas was a man who just didn't get it. And sadly, there's many... Many in the church today who could be those same sort of people. They just don't get it. Like Judas, 
who even being among the twelve, I mean, Jesus or Judas was right there in the thick of it, right? There was, you know, you hear all these other numbers, 72 and then 12 and then three and then one and all this, but Judas was right there in the top 12. But just like Judas, who was that close to Jesus, as close as we think that we are, if we're not willing to lay down our preconceived notions and, and, and readjust our thinking, we also will quickly discover that our religious position is worthless if not accompanied by faith and virtue. If not accompanied by true love, true friendship, true submission. Church, as I said, the Palm Sunday crowd, they just didn't get it. They eventually did a 180 and shouted, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Judas didn't get it. Judas's betrayal of the Lord is rooted in him just not getting it. Judas never actually grasped the, the, the revelation that his fellow disciples, especially St. Peter, he never grasped the, res, the revelation that they had. In Matthew's Gospel, we're told uh, that Jesus asked St. Peter, Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In, uh, in the Gospel of John, it's recorded, there was this moment where Jesus was talking about, you know, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And the people, the disciples were like, this is a hard teaching. And a bunch of people left the following that day, left Jesus. And Jesus, it says, he turned to his disciples and he said, you do not want to follow me too, or you do not want to leave me too, do you? You don't want to leave, do you? And again, Peter answered and saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter got it. But even through all this, Judas sitting there and he's hearing these things and he still ain't getting it. Judas had his own idea of what a Messiah was. And it wasn't, it wasn't the one that we find in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Even with that revelation that St. Peter you know, had about who Christ was, who Jesus was, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Holy One of God, the, the speaker of words of, that speaks words of eternal life. Even with all that, Peter still stumbled, right? And in some ways, he still betrayed, the, he betrayed our Lord too by denying Him those three times. Until, and then the, the rooster crowed. But the difference, church, the difference is that Peter... Peter actually, he bore his, his shame for that moment and he continued together with his brothers. Whereas Judas, because he never got it in the first place, Judas couldn't live with himself. 
the shame that overtook him and his fundamental misunderstanding of grace and mercy and forgiveness offered no path towards hope for Judas because he just didn't get it. And how many of us, you know, we go through, through moments and bad circumstances in our life and we blame God for those things. The fact is, that's our fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. And there are those moments we have to step back and say, do I really get it? Or am I like Judas and I just don't get it? Family, just like us, you know, the fact is Judas was given chance after chance after chance to get it. Just like the Lord, again, He gives us, me, you, every one of us. He has abundant patience for us. Abundance of patience and abundance of grace and abundance of mercy. Uh, Peter, in his second epistle, he wrote that the Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake, for my sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. The issues that plagued Judas are the same issues perhaps wrapped up in different you know, gift wrapping, but they're the same issues that plague us. Because we still struggle with getting it. You know, it's okay to, to have moments of doubt and moments of excessive worry. It's okay. Jesus, our God, is big enough to handle all those things because He continues to come and says, let me in. I'm going to sit and eat with you and sup with you. It's okay. Cast that doubt onto me. Cast that you know, worry, that anxiety onto me. Just don't give up because I promised I would never leave you or forsake you. And so it's okay to acknowledge the reality that we, we deal with these same kind of thoughts of not getting it. It's what we do with it that's, that's the answer, that's the key. We still struggle with getting it despite, just like Judas, despite the miracles, despite the servant leadership we read in Scripture that Christ modeled, despite the grace and mercy that's extended to us, despite the forgiveness that's given to us, despite the victories that we may encounter because of overcoming addictions or overcoming illnesses or overcoming trials and tribulations, despite all those things, there's moments, there's times that we still don't understand what the kingdom is truly all about. We're constantly, constantly trying to make Jesus what we want Him to be, which is a God in our own image. And that, my friends, goes all the way back to Genesis, which is a big no-no. I have no other gods. All you have to do is look at how we... we uh, politicize Jesus, right? We try to put Him in our political boxes. No matter where you are, I could care less where you stand on those sort of things, but we try to encapsulate Him and push Him into ours and say, they don't have Him, we have Him. Or, they don't have Him, we have Him. 
or how in times past we've tried to use his name and use God to, as justification for war. Or how we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. How we fail to acknowledge the fact that Jesus tells us to love our enemies and that our enemies are actually our neighbors as well because love sees no distinction. We still don't get it. And even when we pray, when we kneel down at our bed or when we're driving or however you pray and we say, Thy will be done. Do we get it? Because if we did, we would not be mad at God when things don't go our way. Because if we really got it, church, if we really got it, when we, when we say that prayer, Thy will be done. Your will be done, Lord. Lead me, guide me, your will. If we truly believed that, then maybe, just maybe, we got it. But if we get mad at Him, if we get frustrated at Him, do we get it? Judas struggled to truly understand the kingdom's message. Granted, as a zealot, uh, he, he was looking for a militaristic, conquering Messiah who would overthrow Rome's occupation of Judea. Not a suffering servant Messiah who would overthrow the power of darkness. And sometimes we ain't, we're, you know, when it comes to us not getting a, and us trying to fit Jesus into these boxes and this and that, it's because of these same sort of things. We might not be looking for the, the Messiah Judas, Judas was looking for, but we got our own idea of who the Savior is and what He looks like and what He does and who He loves and who He doesn't love. We have our own ideas of who the, the people we think are outcasts. Surely Jesus thinks they're the outcasts also. But I got news for you. You ain't getting it. Judas had his image of Jesus and attempted to mold Jesus into the Messiah he wanted. The Messiah he thought Israel needed. That's the whole, you know, he went to the temple leaders and the, the chiefs of the guards and all this because surely, you know, Jesus is kind of being a slowpoke about taking over and, and doing this thing. So maybe if I just motivate him a little bit. It's unfortunate because Judas spent three years in the presence of Jesus and again, he was empowered. He was empowered to do miraculous works. This was the empowerment of, you know, pre-Holy Spirit sort of empowerment. You know, like when it talks about the Spirit came on David and he was able to play his music and the, the demons and bad spirits push him away and, and all that. In that moment, he, he, like the rest of the disciples, when Jesus sent him out two by two, he got, a, uh, he got the appetizer the Holy Spirit. And even with that, seeing what the kingdom was possible, seeing the power that was coming, he still, he still didn't get it. He still didn't truly understand and know who Jesus was. He still didn't grasp that Jesus was a different kind of Messiah. 
Jesus wasn't a political activist. Jesus wasn't a military leader. Jesus was that suffering servant, promised, foretold, prophesied, spoke of, wrote of by Isaiah. Jesus was meant to suffer and die. And by his death, opened the gates of redemption to all those who would believe by choice. Not by occupation, military occupation or subjugation, but by choice. Judas, like many in, in his day, believed Israel needed a different type of king. It needed liberated. And as a zealot, he sought that outcome. How many of us think that, you know, um, our, our, our nation would do better with certain this and certain that? Give it to God. If you get it, if you trust in the Lord and you understand His ways are higher than our ways, don't seek answers to what you deem as problems. Pray. Seek the Lord. Love on your neighbor. Go out in your community and really engage in the day of change that you guys do. Those type of things is getting it. Those type of things is getting it. Judas, because of all this, because of you know selling out Jesus, because of seeing the things that he saw but still never understanding, and he, you know, he was ever seeing and ever hearing, but he never saw and he never heard. He never really got it. And it makes you think, wonder, was he ever actually a true friend in the first place? Or was the Lord right when he said, friend, imposter, do what you've come to do. It had to break Christ's heart to say that to him. Even, even having experienced the power of God flow through him, he just didn't get it. And I know I'm, I'm repeating, he didn't get it over and over, but I'm trying to just drill that in into you that, you know, like Judas, we can fall into these ruts of where we just don't get it by our words or by our deeds. But we have the benefit of looking back and learning from the life. Of Judas, learning from the moments that Peter denied Christ. We can look back at that, that 2020 vision that's crystal clear and say, okay, I can see some of the hurdles and some of the pitfalls coming and I can navigate around these things. And we have the benefit of seeing the entirety of the New Testament and being blessed with understanding really what the kingdom is about. Judas, Judas never really understood what the kingdom was about and couldn't lay down his own idea of the Messiah, even as the Messiah, check this out, even as the Messiah was washing his feet mere hours before Judas was going to pull that trigger and hand him over. Even in that, mo that moment, here's Judas sitting there and Jesus is kneeling down and washing his feet and not, it's still not clicking. There ain't no lights going off saying, hold on, this guy really is different. 
He's still just sitting there in the back of his mind being like, all right, I got two hours and then they're going to meet me at the corner and we're going to walk to Gethsemane and we're going to do this thing. For some, for some, the act of getting it is an instantaneous moment of revelation. You could say that's probably kind of how Peter it was. Oh, you're the son of God. But for others like myself, uh, it involves the sweet and shocking transformation of water to wine. Or to borrow a current buzzword uh, that's all over the place as far as social media, um, it, it, deconstruction is part of that. And that word in recent years has begun to be talked about and feared and has got a bad rap by lots of places. But if you drill down to really what it is, it is simply water to wine. It's breaking down something and rebuilding it so that you get it. In 2005, me and my wife and I, um, I was an Assemblies of God youth pastor at a church in Arizona. And we began to get exposed to just a bigger view of the church. At that time, Pentecostalism, specifically the Assemblies of God flavor, was all that I knew. You know, I would have never dreamed of wearing this collar and being a priest or any of that because that was vain repetition. That was, you know, uh, dead and all this stuff, hollow religion and all these sort of things. But in 2005, uh, in Arizona, we began to be exposed to other segments of the church, other flavors of the church, other flowers in the garden, in Christ's garden. And in that moment, we opened the box. Or as, as I called it, in that moment, you know, we, I evolved my thinking. And it was a pivotal moment as it readjusted what was my limited vision to fully embrace a much larger view of the kingdom. To really read John 17 and Christ's prayer for unity and be like, that's not just unity in the assemblies of God, that's unity in all of his body. That's why I'm able to be here. Because, yeah, I'm Anglican, you guys aren't, but we're one body. And praise God for that. And the fact that I, 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 I bless you and I love you all and you bless me and love me shows that we get it. Christ's kingdom is big. It's bigger than our limited little things. And this view of God that, that you know, we were opened up to in 2005, that the world is bigger than just assemblies of God and Pentecostalism, it was one in which we truly began to get it in a way that we had never got it before. And sadly, though Christ all had the opportunities open to Judas time, and every miracle, every this, every that, each one of them were moments of Jesus being like, is Judas going to get it? Is he going to finally get it? And in one ear, out the other, Judas never got it. But for Myra and I, you know, we, granted, we, we, it wasn't no conversion moment. Don't get me wrong. We were already believers. We already had faith. But it was a revelation moment of us realizing a pivotal 
fundamental truth of the kingdom, which is that we can't contain it in a box, that it's bigger, it'll blow our minds. And that verse that says his ways are higher than our ways isn't just fancy, fluffy uh, talk, but is legitimately fact. And Peter, as I shared earlier, he had that moment too. You are the son of God, the holy one of God. Paul had that moment, right? He was blinded. Scales, Ananias prayed for him, fell off. He had that moment. He all of a sudden got it. Unknown and known saints throughout history. You know, people like St. Francis of Assisi to people like your grandma or grandpa or mom, dad, aunt, uncle. These people got it. Because they had that moment of realizing that you truly are the Son of God. Next Sunday, you know, you'll, cel you'll be celebrating the resurrection at Williams Wharf with the bishop. But to get there, you've got to go through Friday. You've got to go through Good Friday. And on Good Friday, you know, way back then, there was a guard who pierced the side of Christ. There was a guard, a centurion, who got it. And who had that moment, that revelation moment. But Judas never experienced it. And as a result, his faith became malformed and resulting in an immature friendship which stagnated into a hyteros friendship, an imposter friendship, and never blossomed into a true philos one, a true uh, beloved one. And in the end, which we all know what happened to Judas, but in the end, Judas's death wasn't because God failed him, but because Judas had a failed misunderstanding, or excuse me, Judas had a failed understanding of God. Let me say that again. Judas's death wasn't because God failed him, but because Judas had a failed understanding of God, because Judas never got it. Even though the Lord was constantly there saying, dude, hear my voice. I'm standing beside you. He still never got it. And so family, on this Palm Sunday, as I close, on this Palm Sunday, may we come to understand that to truly experience the depth and the power of hope and resurrection, we must surrender our preconceived notions. We must evolve our limited understanding of who Jesus was and more importantly, who Jesus is by removing him by kicking down the walls of our boxes, by removing him from our boxes and setting him free from our limited frameworks that says you must conform and only love who I love and care about who I care about. We have to free ourselves, free him from those things. And instead, again, we have to see him as that suffering servant, that patient, long-suffering Messiah, that God who John tells us is a God of love, a God who is love, and he's a God that scripture foretold him to be, but someone like Judas, who was close to him, who sat in the pew every Sunday, still just didn't get it, even though he was reading the text 
He was seeing the, the Word made flesh. And so church, we can sit here every Sunday and we can read the text and we can hear the faith proclaimed. But do we get it? We can get it, but do we get it? And so on this Palm Sunday, may our celebrating Him as King not be turned around in a couple days where we're saying, curse God. He failed me. Why did he let so-and-so die? Why did this? Because that's us saying, crucify him, crucify him. When we surrender our preconceived notions and we lay back, we rest in the arms of Christ, it's then, church, that we finally get it. And it's then that the Spirit leads us into truth upon truth upon truth. And so this Palm Sunday, may we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King. And may we truly mean it because we truly get it. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you this morning. We come to you this day, this Palm Sunday. God, realizing that the next time we gather together will be Resurrection Sunday. So we come here today, not just to talk about Palm Sunday, but to also make the journey through Jerusalem and then up the hill of Golgotha to the, to the cross so that next week we can celebrate but God, may we not take for granted today this journey that we're embarking on of getting it, of coming to those revelatory moments that truly you are the Son of God. And may our words and may our lips profess, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me for not getting it. God, by your Spirit, may you empower us to, to embody uh, uh, the the. The, your, your love and your care for this world. So God, we can be transformed as we are your agents of change. So God, help us get it. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you all.